0: We have seen the
1: enemy, and they are ours.
2: The total worldwide box office revenue of the Marvel Cinematic Universe series at the end of 2020 is closing in on $23 billion. The films are derived from the titles on Marvel Comics, including The Avengers, Guardians of the Galaxy, and X-Men. If the MCU, as it's known, was a country 23 billion, as a measure of gross domestic product, would rank it 105th just behind Cyprus and European member state. The bottom line is that comics are big business. Comics are also drivers of pop culture. Open up the Sunday Times and readers of all ages can enjoy the comic strips, a staple of newspapers for over 120 years. The possible visual stars and narratives are too numerous to mention, from the European classics like Tintin and Asterix, American icons like Watchmen and Mad Magazine, to Asian titles such as Lao Fuji and Akira. The influence of comics cannot be understated. In this episode, we explore the history of comic production and reading in Singapore and make the case that comics have a place for the entertainment, education and edification of children and adults. I'm Lo Chen Yi. Welcome to the How We Read podcast. Chapter 1 – A Brief History of Comics
0: I read everything from American superheroes to Japanese manga, Hong Kong Kung Fu comics to newspaper strips cartoons, graphic novels about Lee Kuan Yew, Lim Chin Siong, about mental health, well-being, COVID comics, and so on. The secret origins of my adventure downfall started when my dad brought me a Super Friends comic book because I was watching the TV show then.
2: CT Lim is the country editor of the International Journal of Comic Art and an educator. I spoke to CT to clear up one of the most common misconceptions about illustrated publications. Is there a difference between comics and graphic novels?
0: One way to talk about it is it's a format difference, right? A comic book is slightly thinner, graphic novel thicker. Usually seen as more literary, more prestigious, more serious in terms of content than comic books. So you study a graphic novel, but you don't study comic books. But to me, that's a false divide, right? The highbrow versus lowbrow argument debate. To me, they're all comics.
2: Comics have their origin story from the late 19th century, starting as comic strips and cartoons in newspapers and magazines.
0: It's only with the rise of consumption and basically disposable income, we become richer with decolonization, independence, industrialization, and technically the rise of the middle class of teenagers with pocket money. Then you, you have more or less a comic industry because comics companies are private enterprises. So it's only when the businessmen see that there's a market for it that they will start printing comics. So there is a shift away from so-called free comic strips in newspapers, in magazines, to actual comic books, which you only get to see in the 1980s. Towards the end of the 80s and 90s, you have popular titles like uh, Mr. Geng Asu, Return of Condo Heroes, uh, published by Asia Pac. So it's, it's linked to the idea of pastime.
2: Authors like to say that the pen is mightier than the sword. But in the comic genre, it's the illustrations that
0: set a title apart from the crowd. When you read a comic book, you pick it up. You're not just appealing to the prosaic senses in that sense, but also your visual literacy, you have been engaged. And like any good story, as you turn the page, your mind is engaged. You get involved with the characters, the themes, and maybe at some points you're imagining what's next.
2: Tio Sing Associate Librarian at the Jurong West Public Library, tells us just how popular comics are and the demographic of the readers.
3: Comics are really, really popular with children and teens. The kids really, really love looking for books that have pictures inside. So as long as it's an illustrated book, they will really, really love it. Bilingual volumes of Garfield, Doraemon, they will borrow it uh, regardless of whether they can read one of the languages. As long as there's English inside and they can enjoy the book, they will borrow it. If you go to the library shelves, we have to admit that you'll see that they are in quite bad condition because they keep getting borrowed uh, over and over again. So we constantly have to replace them. Western-style comics and graphic novels, you will see children sitting near the shelves again, flipping through volume after volume of like Justice League or like The Avengers. Percy Jackson and Cherub actually comes out as comic book format as well, graphic novel versions. So these are really, really popular. They just appear on shelf
2: for a while and then, gone. It's not only the children reading comics. The adults and seniors do too. And the stereotype of all-male readership is changing too. 10%
3: 10% of the total loans by adults right? actually from the comic and graphic novel selection. While comic readers are generally male, the ladies recently have been catching up. So like especially with more female protagonists appearing now like Spider-Gwen or Wonder Woman. You just pick one book, you finish that book and then you don't have another book to go to. So comics has that appeal in which you read one, you can continue with a very long story. Among the female audience, one of the top genres is fantasy romance. Then we can also see that seniors really like comics as well. So seniors, uh, they like to read things like Lao Zi, the old comics that they can find in the library. But they also like to reminisce through reading the illustrated versions of the Usia comics that they actually have. So the Jing Yong comics are really, really popular among our elders.
2: Being at the crossroads of the world, Singaporeans enjoy access to a wide variety of comics in different languages, A visit to the Kinokuniya Bookstore at Nian City will open your eyes to the vast range of comics on offer. You'll find classics such as The Adventures of Tintin, Japanese manga such as Haikyuu, made popular by its adaptation into an anime television series, and of course, Singapore's Mr. Gyasu.
0: This is where Singapore is unique because that cliché, right? We are at the crossroad between the East and the West. We get stuff from America, we get stuff from Britain, of course, and we also get stuff from Hong Kong, Taiwan, China. We do get from different sources. And of course, there are also Malay comics in the past. Packed with content,
2: oftentimes printed in slim volumes, comics have captured the hearts of many. They are consumed by a diverse audience, unbounded by age, gender or ethnicity. But where does the magic happen? And how is a comic produced?
4: Chapter 2 The Comics Publishing Industry. I was a very sickly kid, and I spent a lot of time either at the doctors or in hospital rooms because I had very bad asthma. And I started reading comics because my mom and my dad would pick up like Spy vs. Spy, Garfield, and Dino and Dandy. And they would be like these little floppies that I would read in the hospital room. And I think that actually is my earliest comic reading experience. But when I um, grew up, I think I started reading comics more seriously because of the X-Men cartoons. And because of the X-Men cartoons, I started going out and looking for like single issue comics. So that was kind of like my introduction into comics.
2: Felicia geminis Lowe is one half of the Sherlock-Sam duo a best-selling adventure series about a pudgy boy detective. Felicia is also the publisher at Difference Engine, the first
4: independent comics publisher based in Singapore. Why the name Difference Engine? I happened to be reading this comic called Ada Lovelace. And how she worked with Babbage on both the Difference Engine and the Analytical Engine. The Analytical Engine is considered like the first computer, but the Difference Engine name sounds a lot more interesting. And it kind of ties in with kind of what we hope to do with the content that we produce. Comic stories that can make a difference is a catalyst for change. To date, Difference Engine has published The Makers Club
2: Game On about girls who code. Amazing Ash and Superhero Ama about a superhero in training, and her absent-minded, also superhero, Grandma. And Sound, a comics anthology with stories from across
4: Southeast Asia. A lot of comic publishing is very Western-centric. In the past, it used to be very male-dominated, both in terms of the target audience as well as the publishing houses and the creators involved. We're seeing a lot more diversity in comics publishing, but I still think it's very Western-centric. What we want to do is to make sure that we have stories that kids and grown-ups in Singapore, but also the rest of Southeast Asia can relate to. It can be something just as simple as making sure that your characters, before they come into the house, they take off their shoes or the food that they eat. I think maybe Singapore and Malaysia is one of the few places where we eat with a fork and a spoon. Other times, we might have a fork and a knife or chopsticks in a spoon. So it's just small things like this that kids and grown-ups can read and relate to. So that's kind of what we mean by like diverse content. We want to make sure to amplify voices in Southeast Asia. Comics publishing in Singapore
2: is still young and evolving. Its small market means that creators often write in silo for a small audience. Difference Engine is different in that it hopes to publish and distribute comics to the rest of the Southeast Asian market. The comics publishing industry is a fast-growing industry, with audiences
4: hungry for this form of reading. Not just locally, but internationally, we're already seeing a lot of this happen. Comics and the visual medium is becoming increasingly popular with international publishers starting up a comics publishing arm, specifically targeting at a middle grade or a young adult audience. It's an audience that has been neglected for a while already, and maybe we only see a lot of attention being paid to this particular audience in the comic industry. Not everyone processes information the same way, and reading with visuals allow readers to learn in a different way from prose some kids might be able to memorize things better if it's accompanied by a visual. So we're seeing a lot more like non-fiction publishing for children that are very infographic heavy. And some of them also use like aspects of the comic mediums like speech bubbles, captions, and things like that. The creators that are being published is quite different from the creators that are being published maybe like 10 years ago. So there's a lot more diversity. There's a lot more deliberate push for diversity. Minority creators, creators who maybe even two years ago might not have gotten a publishing contract, now publishers are actively looking for them to give them a voice as well. There is no death of print when it comes to comics. Rather,
2: there is an ecosystem of ebooks. Online content and print books that coexist to offer readers more choices. Just as the comic print industry is growing, the online comic ecosystem is flourishing. Ask any comic reader, and they'll tell you of the many sites you can access to find free or subscription comics. These include Amazon's Comixology, Webtoon by Naver, and Digital Comic Museum. Some original comics and webtoons have turned to social media like Instagram to reach their audience.
4: How is Difference Engine moving into the future? Once we sign a project, we don't just treat it as a print comic or an ebook. We try and think of each project as like a source for additional content. Internally, we call it expansion projects. Recently, we just published Sound, a comics anthology, and it is an anthology of 13 stories by creators around Southeast Asia. What we did in addition to the comic book, right, was that we created a website where anyone can go to, there's an interactive canvas and there are sound prompts. So you can play like a sound, be inspired by the sound and kind of draw on the interactive canvas. And then you can submit your illustration to Difference Engine or you can just share it with your friends. The rationale behind that was to let readers go through the same experience that the creators had in creating comics using um, the theme of sound. We also have the ebook, which is like just the basic digital book. We'll also be doing another website for Amazing Ash and Superhero AMA, which is our middle-grade comic, helping kids explore areas in Singapore that might be dementia-friendly, helping them understand what dementia is about, helping teachers and educators work with kids on this content as well. Looking at
2: the future of reading, comics publishers are innovating on how they can push out content to their readers through different mediums. More exciting is how stories move across different platforms and mediums to immerse the reader in the worlds that comics have created. Chapter 3. What Kids Read I'm nine years old and I like
3: playing the violin. I like to read English comics and novels. Some of my favourite comic series are Candy Jam and Adventures Explorers. The Candy Jam series teaches good habits example of how to exercise and eat healthily. Some of the comics I like are Hazardous Tales, Sherman's Lagoon, Calvin and Hobbes, and Foxtrot. They're funny. It's also a bit like a picture book but more complicated. A picture book usually is just one picture, but a comic that less words, the picture
2: also does some description. We know that children love reading comics, but there is a lingering doubt that parents and educators have about the value of comic reading. I asked Sarah Manzi, Director of Libraries and Teacher Librarian at Dulwich College, Singapore, if children and teenagers should
1: be reading comics. Comics are good. Comics are excellent. Any reading content is good for children. But different books have different accessibility levels. Graphic novels and comics are excellent because they're heavily illustrated and students need to read the words, but they also need to read the pictures in tandem. And that's a really important skill. So visual literacy is that skill where you need to be looking at the images. And in a comic strip, there's like a gap between the panels. So students need to fill in that gap to understand the story and context. So comics are absolutely valid reading choices.
2: Comics are extremely popular at Dulwich. They constitute 9% of the collection, but account for 15% of the loans. Demand outstrips supply. And Sarah is always looking for books to add to her collection.
1: In my library last year, we loaned out 62,000 books and 15% of the books borrowed were actually graphic novels. We can't keep them on the shelf. This trend has increased year after year. They're a really popular reading choice in a wide range of students. Often they're a popular choice for students who have English as a second language, but definitely not exclusively to this category. Boys enjoy them, girls enjoy them. I have many students as well who voraciously read thick and mature chapter books alongside deep and complicated graphic novels. So many students love comics and use them for different purposes. So they can be lighthearted and funny ones. So the Bad Guys series, Dog Man and Lunch Lady are excellent examples of that. Yet they can also deliver a really heavy message and address very mature themes, such as conflict stories and refugee stories. Comics are not just
2: for entertainment. Children learn about different, sometimes difficult topics
1: through reading comics that educate as well as entertain. Some excellent examples are Where Stars Are Scattered, Illegal, House and the graphic novel version of Anne Frank are all very, very popular with students. These are all the sort of graphic novels that would be for the mature 10-year-old right through the teenage years and, of course, for adults as well who really enjoy them. Then also some other popular graphic novels from recent years that fit into the realistic genre would include books like El Defo and Raina Teljamaya's books, including Drama, Guts and The Babysitter's Club. We cannot keep them on the shelves and we have multiple, multiple copies. These books look at a lot of dilemmas that students face, including standing up for yourself, friendship troubles, bullying, feeling like the outsider. Reading comic versions
2: of popular books and classics can lead to exploration of other genres.
1: Some really popular ones are graphic novels which are being created after a popular middle-grade chapter book. So, for example, Alex Ryder and Artemis Fowl and Percy Jackson. The chapter books came first and then they've been made into graphic novels. So a lot of children really find the graphic novels first, really enjoy them, and then it can be a great way of introducing them to trying the chapter book version as well.
2: Librarians spend a lot of time figuring out what patrons like. Like Sarah... Xinzi from the National Library Board actively sources for all kinds of comics to feed her patrons insatiable need for comics.
3: Recently, we've been building our Japanese manga collection. This has been gaining popularity. Back when Oishimbo was the only manga that we had in the library, all the copies would be borrowed out. It's almost impossible to find a copy of Case Close, which is the one about Detective Conan. Most avid borrowers for that particular series are actually young children. There are also many teens who are very dedicated to reading manga and completing the whole series in the library. They will binge read things like One Piece, Naruto, My Hero Academia, all standing in front of the shelves. they don't actually borrow the book. I haven't actually seen the copies of a few of the titles that I've shelved up for a while already. For example, That Time I Reincarnated as a Slime or The Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba. It's never on shelf because it just keeps going off really, really quickly. And they're constantly being reserved, so people are paying money for them to be shipped to another library so they can collect it in their other libraries.
2: One trend that has been worrying education systems worldwide is that children
1: report that they enjoy reading less than they used to. Should we be concerned? I do think we do need to be worried, but I don't believe forcing children to read things that they're not interested in is the solution. And I think that is part of the problem as well. So when educators just teach reading with a focus on moving to the next level or just to answer comprehension questions, it can be a very negative experience for children. Adults should not be telling children to stop reading books, which they view as too easy reading should be pleasurable. And when it's not a huge challenge, children will become lifelong readers because they're reading for pleasure and not just for purpose. So when children do this really frequently, they will associate reading as a really natural positive experience and they'll naturally progress onto more challenging texts and want to read more and more and more. We need to focus not just on skills
2: or comprehension in reading, but also on pleasure. Providing books that children like to read and making sure they have easy access to these books
1: can help them enjoy reading more. Mobile phone use in students does correlate with a decline in reading. Parents need to take responsibility for having this conversation with their children and to manage their time on screens and be able to switch off. So reading at the end of the day is not just a good way to slow the mind down, but there is a research that links reading to mental and physical well-being. Some of our children don't have the ability to know when to switch off. So our job is to help them and guide them and provide opportunities for reading as a positive experience to help in this.
2: So what can we as parents, teachers and librarians do to encourage children to love reading?
1: We have a quote by JK Rowling outside our library that says, if you do not like to read, you haven't found the right book yet. And so we look at that as the role of parents, teachers and teacher librarians to work with children to find that right book because every child has different reading preferences. So some children absolutely love comics or graphic novels. Others don't like them at all because they like to read text and find actually reading images quite confusing. Some children love realistic fiction and ask for more sad books. We have others who come in want fantasy or adventure or scary books. Teenagers love more mature content and love the genre of young adult fiction. And then some children only want to read nonfiction and only want to read books with information. A part of my job, and I think all parents and all teachers' jobs, is to share excellent examples of all of the different kinds of genres to children. Because sometimes children can get really pigeonholed into the genre of their preference. So it is great to share so many with them to sort of extend their reading choices and their awareness of what else might be out there and books maybe they wouldn't have discovered had someone not shared them with them.
2: To build a culture of reading, Parents, teachers and Librarians need to be more book-savvy to know more about books and children and teens as potential lovers of books. I like to think about the teacher or Librarian as a matchmaker. A matchmaker knows the prospective suitor and potential matches well enough to make a good judgement about whether the parties will click. In the same way, A teacher or librarian has to get to know both students and books in order to make a successful match. And if the first match does not work out, we try a second book, or a third, until the student finds the book that he or she can fall in love with. Very often, the book that sparks the love of reading may be a comic. Thank you for listening to the How We Read podcast episode, Comic Relief. This episode was written and hosted by me, Lo E, and my thanks go to my guests for sharing their love and knowledge of comic reading. For listeners who love Sherlock Sam and want to find out more about writing children's books, you can tune in to the bonus episode where Felicia shares about the process of writing the series. Next week, join me as we learn about reading poetry. This episode was produced by Ken Delbridge of Splice Studios. Swipe on the cover art to see show notes with links and references. We're available on all major podcast apps. Please subscribe to be notified of new episodes and take a moment to give us a five-star review. For more information, please visit lochene.com.